audience, welcome to the 35th episode of the Online Tennis Podcast. It's myself, Jack Edward, and my co-host, as always... Gavin, yeah, back again. Yes, how you doing, Gav? Very good, thanks, yeah, very good. Gav's ador- I was going to say, Gav's adorned in a really nice suit and tie, well, suit and tie, a, a shirt and tie even. Got to make the effort for the podcast, you know, it's... You know, of course, 35th, yeah. 35th episode, it's a milestone, isn't it? 35. Yeah, yeah it was the same age as Nadal, I guess, you know. Like, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so you exactly. don't make the effort for these things, that's totally why I'm wearing this now, but yeah. Same, same age as Marin, maybe? Or maybe he's a bit younger. Yeah, probably the amount of Grand Slams Marin should have won in his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Milestone 35. Today, we are going to cover everything that happened in Indian Wales, or at least everything that's worth talking about, I guess. We've got some big upsets, you know, Monfils, Brooksby. we got stuff about the defending champs on both sides, Cam Norrie and Paula Bedosa. A bit of the drama that went on, Nadal Kyrgios. Match of the tournament, probably Nadal Alcaraz. And on the women's side, maybe Schwantek Hallett. But, but um, we'll talk about the semis in the final, at least. Plenty to get through. Let's just dive in and you guys can, can catch up. Okay, we can start on the men's side, Gav? Yeah, why not? Let's go for it. I wanted to start with a few of the upsets. So I wanted to very briefly go over Medvedev and Monfils. Yeah, what a match that was. Incredible. Mm-hmm. This, first things first, 124 mile an hour forehand. Does it deserve the hype, Gav? Or... Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, Do you think I'm, I'm, I'm team doesn't deserve the hype? Because it, like, it was like almost a smash. Nah, he's got to give that. He's got to get the hype for that. I mean, just... Monfils, isn't it? I mean, 120 was 124 in the end because I think yeah. he sort of like he said no one's done that before. And two minutes later, he goes, "Oh, James Blake hit 120 mile an hour return." It's like one or the other, you know what I mean? Yeah, but, but maybe um, nobody's went over 124. I've never seen that before. Even Delpo in his heyday. Hmm. I think that was just Monfils feeling the moment, really. I mean, incredible match. Medvedev, though, I mean, I know we'll get into the nuances of it in a minute, but disappointing sort of trend from him, isn't it? Like, when he's sort of down or when he's, like, a final set times, that he just sort of, he's so, what's the word, it's, like, erratic, isn't it? it just mm-hmm. Mentally, almost, like, switches off at times. I don't know how you'd explain it, really, but... Well, my my theory might be Indian Wells, and it's not mm. something, it's, it, there is a pattern there. His first serve percentage does go down a lot at Indian Wells. Could be due to a bit of the altitude, a bit of the wind, whatever mm. it is. Medvedev certainly, in, in you know, against Dimitrov last year, that was a that capitulation, was nice, yeah. unmatched by anybody the whole year. But mm. uh, this year it was a little bit more subtle, and um, you know, there was just a few service games that Monfils got into that he wouldn't have otherwise been into on maybe a quicker mm. court on uh, less erratic conditions. I think we can give Monfils a lot of the plaudits here in general as well, Gav, because. You know, had Medvedev had that serving advantage, I could have seen him through for sure just in that alone. But from the baseline, I mean, Monfils was basically splitting the, the rewards and doing yep. that against Medvedev is, is so, he was so disciplined, difficult. wasn't he? Very disciplined, which is something we've not really associated uh, Monfils with in the past. Sometimes his short selection has been very ropey mm-hmm. um, in the big moments. But no, he was really disciplined and deserved the win. I think he was excellent. Probably one of the best matches I've seen him play actually you know, yeah yeah because some of the, the flattened out shots were, were incredible he's one of the mm. few guys that can really you know, flatten out and actually Turn hit on. through yeah. Medvedev, uh, Medvedev you know so mm. there's very few players that can do that obviously mm. um, one of the, the, the really interesting parts of the, the tactics involved in the match that I, I covered on the, the blog Monfils' serving wasn't immensely fast a lot of the time he would go about 100 miles an hour on his first serve and mm-hmm. then follow that up with 130 miles an hour then follow that up with you know an underarm serve yeah it changes pace 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's, it's something that's really important. You, you can't just keep trying to hit through him every day because he eats up fast serves if you just well, keep giving them. He can use them. the pace, can't he? He can use the pace really well and just sort of redirect the ball. He's so good at changing direction with his um, ground strokes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah right. and, and obviously he's got he's got more time than anybody else to take on a fast serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it, it was really smart. And it's something that a few players do. And, and one other advantage to changing up the pace of your serve, he was putting more first serves in the court. So he didn't have yep. to rely on that second serve as much. I have first serve percentage, for sure. Yeah. Mon- Monfils has got one of the bigger second serves on tour, to be fair. So he still was able to cover that a little bit better than other players. But obviously, if you keep hitting second serves against Medvedev, that's when he starts to, to get a bit more comfortable. That's when he starts mm-hmm. to take on a few more of the returns and that's when you see a few more of the service games sort of, um, getting out of your hands when they shouldn't have been getting out of your hands. So really, really smart match for Mumphies. Like, honestly, one of the smartest matches I've seen him play. Really good. Yeah, I think it just sort of relays that new attitude he's got, doesn't it? I mean, you've seen him on social media and Twitter and stuff um, this year sort of like almost speak directly to the fans, you know, about his game. I quite like that. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. like sort of a, not a more mature side maybe, but maybe a more like sort of focused side, I'd say, focused. Um, certainly more you know his cards on the table he's like I want to win a big tournament I hope he does I mean it'd be great to see but whether he will obviously he's been accused in the past of not having the attitudes to win big tournaments but it looks like he's we saw that match was at Montpellier immediately after the Australian Open we just had an absolute shocker against him and everyone was giving him pelters it's like well guys just played incredible Australian Open you can't expect him to consistently perform that level just immediately after really I probably shouldn't have played that event but um yeah good signs good signs definitely good signs the other one I wanted to talk about was Brooksby sits the pass yeah predictions oh did you predict Brooksby to win or I did yeah you did yeah did. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah I was quite happy with that, that prediction right, yeah yeah I mean I don't always talk about the ones I get right because there's mm. probably an even amount that I get wrong but uh, yeah no I, I did call that one um mm. it was a very interesting match again sits the pass after the win not a very explosive player, he said about Brooksby. He said he's able to get balls back. Not the most athletic player. Just able to read the game well, play with his place, play with his oh, opponent's no. face. Like, for me, Sitsabas, it's not unlikable, but he's like he's becoming sort of maybe a wee bit irritating. You know, some of the stuff he's coming out with, like give the guy credit. Okay, you're annoyed after a loss, but don't have to. I don't know. He just felt he was making like subtle digs at him. You know, he didn't really need to do that. Explicit digs. I mean, it's like <laughs> surely. He yeah. Okay, he did look miserable, but I understand that he's not happy at losing. But equally, I don't know. It's just like silly to say that he doesn't need to say that. You know, he could just say he played better, move yeah. on. But he's, he's given himself more, you know, hassle there. It's a, it's an un. It's I don't think it's a it's a very fair uh, summary of Brooksby's game because actually mm-hmm. he has got quite a lot of power from the back of the court. Certainly. He's, Forehand, I think it is a bit of a weapon. You know, you can flatten yeah, it out and develop that for the yeah. as well. Definitely, a lot of the patterns of play were sort of going backhand cross court. Mm-hmm. Brooksby's backhand's just not ever gonna miss. And mm. if Sitsipas tried to go line and didn't do it properly, Brooksby was able to attack Sitsipas's forehand with his yeah. own cross court forehand. I mean, he mm. deserves a bit of praise for that. He does, hundred percent. I've given him praise. I love the guy. I think he's great to watch, mm-hmm. and I think he's got such a great. Was like a toolbox that he's got. He just can vary it up at different um, junctures in a match. You know, tactically, yeah. that's going to be a real benefit going forward. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if Sitsipas had gotten comfortable with that backhand cross court exchange, I definitely, mm. definitely wouldn't have been surprised if Bruce Pay had thrown in some other sort of crazy yeah, drop shots or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
He's very exciting player. I, I, yes. I'm still not 100% sold on the whole like fist pumping and riling up your opponent sort of aspect yeah, of him. But... But... Don't mind that. Don't mind that. I don't really mind it, just in terms of entertaining the entertainment of the match. But mm. maybe I don't know. Maybe it's a slightness character. I don't know. I'll probably maybe it's just for his home fans or the American crowd. Maybe he's doing it more to get the support. But yeah, yeah. I suppose like, he, he seems to play know. in America a lot. I guess maybe yeah, that's would he it. Do it at like the Pune ATP two fifty. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Like <laughs> exactly. Poor, but... poor Joe Souza. Exactly. Leave him alone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It, it was quite interesting. Right, we'll move on to the defending champ, Cam Norrie. Mm-hmm. Just first things first, I'm not going to run down, but just remembered he talked a little bit about the sort of disrespect he got from the tournament. I he did know. get disrespect. It was Stan Wawrinka level disrespect. Um, I don't know if you know that, but after Wawrinka won the Australian Open in 2014, he didn't appear on Broadway Arena until the semi-finals that what? next year. Jesus. Yeah. That's bad. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah, exactly. And also, Djokovic in was it Wimbledon twenty eighteen the year he won it. Uh, he was uh-huh. court two against Horatio uh, Zabios for his third round match, I think. Court two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Cam's right to call it out. I mean, was it Stadium Five for his first match? He played on the he played in the you know, the tour finals and everything. He's a he's a top caliber, established top caliber player, you know. Disappointed in, in his treatment. He just said, Yeah, yeah, it is what it is, I guess, but still a shame. Mm. Obviously, um, yeah, Cam had that rematch against Basilashvili in the third round. Uh, I didn't actually see much of it, but the scoreline was pretty much identical to the, the final last year, very surprisingly. Mm. So, yeah, very interesting match against Brooks Pudo. Don't know how much of that you saw, but. Saw a wee bit of it. A wee bit of yeah. it, yeah. It was really interesting to see the, the same sort of rally dynamics not work at all against lefty spinny forehand that, that, that Cam has, you know, that backhand of Brooksby certainly a lot more under pressure than it was against Tsitsipas. Yep. Um, any sort of short, sort of junky balls that, that uh, he would hit against Tsitsipas didn't really have as much effect against Cam's forehand, in particular, obviously mm-hmm. one of the spinniest on tour. You can just, you know, if he's drawn off court, he can hit it down the line really easily compared to Yeah, and he's got such a high percentage, you know, tennis you know iq that he's able to make those shots but uh yeah no i think cam underappreciated that forehand you know, everyone talks about oh no power no power no power whatever but you know he's able to put the ball in really difficult positions isn't he I mean, yeah yeah it's exactly that's the point. Yeah. it's a consistent shot he's not going to break down he's not going to beat himself you know and that's a real asset to have i think yeah and i, I found um brooksby had a lot of trouble finding cam's backhand and even when he did find cam's backhand he was kind of struggling to to keep attacking it because it is so flat and mm. certainly brooksby's forehand is pretty flat as well mm. cam doesn't really attack he does attack every so often with his backhand a few returns in that but he was more comfortable taking on difficult low balls than brooksby was and i think that's just yeah. maybe experience Basically, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, he was a better player by far, and it was like four and or two and four, whatever it was, two, four and four two, two or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, he was, he was by far the better player, and just really interesting to see Brooksby unable to do much against him or find a solution against him. But he was trying to find solutions, and that's the point. And that's what I keep trying to say. Like, like he's showing such a, showing yeah, he's such a strategist, and it's going to be it's very, very. I'll learn stuff watching him. Yeah. Is what I mean. Like, yeah, I, a I'm lot quite, of players in the top twenty can take a leaf out of his book. You know what I mean. And, be yeah. more tactically aware. So Exactly, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't just want to give your opponent one dimension all the time. It's he's just, a, he's a podcast favourite. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Ne- next match for Cam, the one that he got knocked out in was his match against Carlos Alcaraz. Mm-hmm. Of course we'll talk a bit more about Carlos Alcaraz in a second. Yeah. Cam actually 
he made it quite difficult. I thought he had that double break point in the first set. Couldn't he was return. The ball quite high in the Alcaraz forehand, wasn't he? But a testament to him. You know, when you go into that match, you'd, I was sort of worried for Cam he'd be totally blown off the court by Alcaraz's power. But you know, it just shows you that um, that that forehand he's got can be a real asset against the players with bigger firepower. If he can get the ball in a difficult position, high up. Um, on a forehand or backhand side, it's going to be very difficult for them to consistently hit winners or whatever in that position in the back of the court. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I think it just took some moments of excellence for Alcaraz to, to make the difference. Like There was mm. a, a break point in the second set, you know, insane defence from Alcaraz, plus a massive backhand, plus a drop shot finish, basically like all of Alcaraz's amazing strengths all put into one point to win a really mm. important point against Gam. He had to find a really high level for him to actually come through at times. And yeah. Cam, again, testament to him, made it really tricky for Alcaraz yeah, to find a way through. Yeah. Definitely. Interesting in general, this this match was quite a good example of it. See Alcaraz's backhand, the better of his two return wings, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's more solid. It's solid, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Very good at taking it on, something that him and uh, Cam as well and Alcaraz are able to excel at and pass to their peers. Yeah. Sometimes you can shorten that backswing. In the return, which is quite good. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, if you, if you need a, a bit of a bigger take back, certainly on the forehand, it can be a bit more easily rushed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alcaraz, I mean, is is very good on both sides, but yes, yes, de- definitely just a little bit more solid on that backhand side. Some very interesting stuff. We'll talk about one of the other matches of the tournament, mm-hmm. Nadal Kyrgios. Oh yeah, drama filled. Appropriate Ben Stiller was there and getting involved in it as well. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wasn't it? it was just like... <laughs> I know, yeah. Why did he get... I don't think he even said anything. He didn't say anything like... No, he must better, have like, some good connections. He was like front row every match, Ben Stiller. I mean, it's Ben Stiller, isn't it? Of course. I mean, they, 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 the Indian Wells coverage absolutely milked it. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ben was loving it. Yeah, it was quite funny. He was basically on Gavin on more than the, the players. He so. was. Every change of end, it's like Ben Stiller. Like, <laughs> yeah, but what did Kenny say to him? I think he, he said I something don't like, teach him how to act. Like, he yeah, was, yeah, uh, yeah. Fan was telling him what to do or heckling. He goes, I don't teach him how to act. And I think Ben Stiller was just sort of didn't know how to react. Uh, the actual match, though, fantastic drama, some extremely exciting points. Kenny is mm. always able to tr- trouble Nadal how easily he's able to spread the court. You know, he doesn't ever really settle into a direction in, mm. in his forehand or backhand. Very rarely settles into one direction or the other. Can go line with his huge forehand very easily. Can find the Nadal backhand where others perhaps can't. I would say maybe that's yeah. one of the reasons that he, he troubles Nadal so so well. Yeah, the back of and the another court. thing I would say is he doesn't give Nadal the respect of other players. You know, you saw like Border tighten up against Rafa at times. You know, you see players when they play Nadal, they can almost be intimidated, but he's not. That's not a factor with Kyrgios. You no, know, he, he's willing to take him on, which I think is interesting to watch because not many players are like that. Even the top ten players can get tight. Like you see, Berrettini maybe getting a wee bit nervous against Nadal, but Kyrgios is just. I mean, he don't. He doesn't get affected by nerves, really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I would say this was probably Kyrgios's match to win, to be honest. So he blew the first set in the big moment. Yeah, Seth, Seth, he said after the match that he kept, and I did hear him say it, but I didn't know what he was talking about. He said 5-4, 30-15, because yep. I couldn't really hear what he was saying. That Aussie accent, honestly, on court, is just like, I need something to translate it. But it, apparently that's what he was saying to himself, and that, that point was like an insane sort of Nadal defensive point where he only just clawed it back. Kyrgios was on top of the point, missed a makeable forehand mm. that maybe wouldn't have won him the point, but certainly was on the, the, the up in the point. He said he was playing that point over and over in his head. Yep. In fact, his exact quote was, I played that point over and 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 over, and over again. Uh, so, 
a bit of a curious, yeah. classic curious response there. Yeah, that was maybe the the difference. That point, he's quite it's right. Point of attitude and the tie break towards the end of that first set as well. It was just like, you know, with all the chuntering to the crowd and all that. You know, I was disappointed in the actually. He just can't stay focused at times, can he? Um, he yeah, well, he he actually went off on one a, a yeah. reporter for saying he wasn't focused, but there's no way he was no focused, way he was focused there. there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, it was yeah. like six six love in the tiebreak, and then he like he, he one more swear and he gets a point penalty. It's like feel sorry for Carlos Bernardes a bit. You when he saw he was doing that match, so he's got Rafa that tried to get him off officiating his matches, and he's got Kyrgios that's been giving him hell. So I bet you thought this is like the nightmare matchup for Carlos Bernardes umpiring. I bet you, like you could offer him any match that you wouldn't want. I bet you that would be the one. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Two players that don't particularly like him or get on well with him. Poor Carlos. Um, yeah, Carlos. yeah. So the second set, I definitely think Carlos is a better player. Definitely deserved it. Maybe mm. even more. A seven five is probably quite nice for Nadal yeah, to be honest. Like six, it felt like a six three. Yeah, set really. Definitely, yeah, yeah. But that third set again, and Nadal did it three times during the tournament, winning matches. I think he probably should have, could have lost. Mm-hmm. Like he hung on at the start of the first set, saving a couple of break points. Did lift his second serve speed, to be fair. And okay, second serve speed doesn't necessarily make a difference to whether or not you're going to win a point, but it stops your opponent from just being able to to you know go aggressive immediately from the start of the point. So mm-hmm. you know he deserves credit. For that, I'm not saying it was the second serve particular that made the difference, but had he not had that second serve speed, I don't know, maybe he would have got broken at the start of the set quite easily. He was missing a lot of first serves, down yeah, on first serve speed in like general. as well. The first serve just vanished at times. Yeah. I mean, never seen that before, Rafa, really. just It was so erratic at times, this tournament. Um, yeah, let's not talk about injury too much because I think people are taking the piss a little bit on Twitter with how much they're talking about his, his injury. But it could have been his foot injury, possibly, that maybe made that first serve go a little bit awry in the yeah. third set against Kyrgios. Didn't matter. Didn't make a difference because, you know, he was able to come up with the big plays and the bigger but points. And now he's always going to be coming yeah, up with course. Miracles, isn't he? That's kind of how the match played out. I want to talk a little bit about the actual, just like, madness that went on during the match so we had between between the legs tweener screaming yeah. at the umpire when people shouted out between his first and second serve kyrgios's i mean resulting mm-hmm. in a double fault that cost him the third set yeah. constantly swearing spitting on the court telling ben stiller yeah this and that that we just said pointing out nadal didn't apologize for a shank ball smash i love that it was, <laughs> yeah. what was great was i think he said it right i think he sort of hoped that the crowd was sort of still there so he'd like nobody heard it but like the crowd was silent at that moment and he was like Clearly I know, it was clear as day. You're not going to apologise for that. Like, it was wow. clear as day, I know. Um, smashed a racket after the match so hard that it almost hit a ball boy. Yeah. What What do you think? Do we just put up with it because it's just that exciting a match? I don't or? mind racket smashes in general. That was, you know, yeah, it was an aggressive racket smash, but there's no intent to hurt the ball boy there. I think the media sort of got so excited when that happened, you know. He did say that, yeah. The question he said, in the press conference was ludicrous, really. I mean, poor journalism yeah. at its finest. Yeah, um, he did say it didn't hit him. It was an accident. It most definitely wasn't like Zverev. Yeah, it was a and he, you see on Instagram, he actually messaged the fan and gave him a racket. So, see that? Yeah, yeah. the racket smash, fine. But yeah. the spitting on the court, the constantly the swearing. Great. No, it's not great. But um, the going mental at Carlos Bernardes, like he did what he could. Yeah, Carlos Bernardes was a bit of a punching bag, wasn't he? He was just. He was, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's ludicrous. That's the stuff you don't like about the racket smashes. I always say to people that play about racket smashes, if you're paying for a ticket, you'd rather see someone not care and lose two and two and be calm, or someone go mental, smash a few rackets, and like winning a champion, well, winning a final set tiebreak. 
wearing it Carlos Bernardes, that was I mean it happens every match as well. Like that's the thing. The thing is, Gav, I'm just gonna keep coming back to watch it. Uh, oh I am, yeah, it was great for a great viewing spectacle, but I bet you Bernardes, like the umpires are probably raging that he's not getting more repercussions for because some of the stuff he says to them are atrocious. I know it is, yeah. One final thought that was happening during the match, just relaying what Mark Petrie said, basically, but very, very interesting stuff. Seeing Kyrgios break rate on hard courts is actually higher than it is on clay. My theory for that, and it's a little bit of what Petrie said, but I certainly think the theory is that Kyrgios prefers a faster surface for returning because he's more likely to guess than read a player's serve, if that makes sense. So he prefers to take on the serve early. And would and like and guess where it's going yeah. rather than anticipate. If you look at his backhand return in particular, it's quite a short sort of stab backswing. I think on the clay, it's more conducive to you know shot makers that have a bigger backswing that they can really rip through the ball. Whereas I think in faster surfaces, you know the pace, the court's doing a lot of the pace for you. You know you can you know hit just you short backswing and you can get the ball quite far uh, deep into the court with a lot of pace on it. So you're able to use the pace far easier on yeah. hard courts and clay. So I'd agree yeah. with that. There's um. One other Aussie, Gav, who also has a higher break rate on hard courts than clay. Mm-hmm. Any idea? One other, is it male, female? Male. Currently playing. Currently playing, That's yeah. Good question you've managed to wrangle into this. Yeah, technically, technically. I just thought, I wondered if it just came to mind like that, because if you I thought about it, you'd be like, oh, it's obviously him. Oh, uh, John Milman, is it? No, no, no. No? Mm-mm. It's uh, Alex de Menor. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah well, I just had yeah. to, you know, he takes the return so early. Again, it's very similar to, to Kyrgios, or mm-hmm. better probably, actually. Um, and certainly has a far higher break rate than, than Kyrgios, actually, on hard courts. But yeah, still, one of the only other players that has a higher break rate on hard courts because of the nature of the return, taking it early and taking time away from your opponent. Um, quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Rather, rather than trying to neutralise the return, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, super interesting match. Loads of stuff going on. Maybe the match of the tournament. Shall we try oh. and match it with the, this this semi final though? Yeah, I think the semi final takes it. Nadal Alcaraz. Yep, absolutely. I had the real fears before the match, match that Alcaraz was just going to fall apart like he did in you know Madrid. You know the one and two, give him too much respect. But like that shows you a lot that Alcaraz. That was ages, that was ages ago. That's, it was. You know, it was awkward, but like the birthday cake and everything. Now, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is that pre match or post match? Like post match, but like the guy's yeah. got battered one and two, and he's like getting a thing yeah. after it. And yeah, it felt more like a sort of like um, make a wish foundation kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The hero giving me a cake. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah this was. Fuck. Yeah, I know. Yeah. This was very different. Yeah, um, it was. It was. I, there was ab- I, absolutely everything in this match. I think anybody who watched it was just raving about it um, mm. for everybody at the tennis club. Anyway, we were talking about it. First set was immense from Alcaraz. Started so well from the back of the court. I think he is as good, if not better, than anybody else. I mean, that's not a crazy thing to say, is it, Gav? Mm. It's just like, that's a moment, fact. Like, the guy, everything he touches turns to gold at times. You know what I mean? It's... The backhand's a joke. It's not much weaker than the forehand at all, honestly. Like, yeah. Obviously, match it up as well the forehand and the backhand with the insane touch and feel he has at the net, and you've mm-hmm. got the potential for one of the greatest baseline players of all time. Like, yeah, I mean, unbelievable. He's only eighteen as well. The story of the match for me and the biggest takeaway is that that second set when it got so, I mean, stupidly windy. Obviously, mm. Alcaraz was the one that came out on top. Yeah, 
That's mm-hmm. that surprised me. I totally. I think I think Nadal is the greatest windy player of all time. Well, Murray's got to be up there. Murray's good. Got to be up there. Yeah. yeah, but I remember Indian Wells two thousand and nine, uh, and it was very windy then, and Nadal yeah. came out on top there. I don't yeah. know. So, I think in US Open twenty twelve, you know, windy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if you pair, if you actually match them up, I think Nadal would probably win. But yeah, I get your argument. Murray has been able to beat a lot of players in his time and windy conditions. But yeah, for me, Nadal, just with all that spin, just so easily able to control the the rallies and stay aggressive and then crazy mm-hmm. conditions. This was a bit of a exception to the rule of just like crazy conditions and that it was like unplayable conditions. It was, I mean, it was- it was dreadful, dreadful yeah. conditions. But yeah. you know, these guys are pros, and they just shows you like imagine club players playing in that. Like the ball would be probably out the stadium, some four hands or whatever. I don't walk, I don't retire. I'm afraid. So like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the nightmares now would be like getting a club player to an overhead, trying to an overhead. That that would just be common. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You saw some of them like literally like skipping off to the left by about a meter. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely crazy. Um, yeah. So Nadal eleven forehand on four stairs in that second set to Alcaraz's two. Mm. And forehand on four stairs. Yeah. Walk returns from Alcaraz as well, just to like yeah. start putting balls in the court. He recognised that's what you got to do, and still hit the ball solidly. Though you can't just put it in the centre of the court. It was really intelligent play, wasn't it? I mean, block yeah. Again, like how many players do that? How many players just try, like try to block return? Not many. Against Nadal players. as well. Mm-hmm. Against Rafa, yeah. You get it short, it's going to sit up, and you can just whack that forehand. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, massive deal. Um, that Alcaraz was man- managed to come uh, through that set victorious. And when we got to the third in the set and the wind had died down even, both players were hitting the ball as clean as anything. I, I feel like that almost like amped them up for the third set for, for a-, a massive battle. And that third set was, oh, oh it was beautiful. It was so, so good. It was, it was just aggressive shot making, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the two of them from the back of the court. I feel like people don't bring that level out of Nadal. That often, you know, just that insane defensive ability on a hard court. Only Novak, maybe. Yeah, Novak's yeah. The, even really Federer is not able to do it because he just gets pinned into that backhand exchange too often. Mm-hmm. Whereas Novak moves the Dal around like where well, the two of them move each other around like nobody else. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely crazy. So I thought Alcaraz was the more impressive of the two from the baseline in the final set. Played Rafa. I mean, he pulled it out in the big moments, didn't he? Just played the bigger points better. And... Yeah, Nadal, Nadal 2.0 making a, a, a an appearance there, you know, massive mm-hmm. serving when he needed it. Yeah. Which isn't like him at all from 10 years ago, obviously. Mm-hmm. And massive net plays when yeah. he needed it as well. Volley. <laughs> yeah. the, the reflex volleys were insane. They were so good. I mean, but it's, that's just like that's what he has been able to do in the past few years like Novak hmm. as well you know bigger serving better net play when, it, when the going is like gets tough and it's the big moments they always 99% of the time bring out the best of themselves like that's why they're where they are you know yeah or, or find a way to come forward it's a lot of the time it's not a big massive flashy forehand winner or something yeah, yeah it's, it's like it's bringing the pressure up front to the forecourt which is, mm-hmm. is, is you know it's really, very interested to see him use that against Alcaraz I think maybe, you know, bad conditions kind of are conducive to that as well. It's, I, as a non-professional player, I find it easier to play at the net when it's windy than at the baseline, but I still think that kind of holds true in professional play as well. Yeah. Um, certainly, you know, there's there's less chance of it just gusting about and you making a miss it than, than when you're at the baseline. So, mm-hmm. very smart play from him. And in the end, Nadal only won five return points in the third set. Yeah. So, Shows you, doesn't it? I know. Yeah. yeah. Mm. 
It's very exciting. Alcaraz, obviously, when that serve gets a little bit better, is going to be absolutely insane. Yeah. The return game, obviously, I'll give him the credit that's due first. A few stats in that. He has broken 51% of the time from Love 15 up this year mm-hmm. under the opponent's service games. Most would be happy with around 40%. That's a decent break rate from that, that mm-hmm. scoreline. Fourth in terms of break rate over the last 52 weeks at 31.5%. Converted 20 of 23 break points at this tournament alone going into mm-hmm. that match. Obviously, that changed with Nadal. He, he was able to, to, to make that a lot worse, but Jesus, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. That is, that's some conversion rate. That's crazy. Oh, it is. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I think about 87%. So yeah, as soon as that serves on, we saw a little bit of it in the third set. He's obviously got a big serve. I'm sure you maybe remember the next-gen finals and how well he was serving there. Mm -hmm. Everybody just said, well, this is him. He's complete already. Uh, It's not really how it worked out because I I think he still finds it difficult to place the serve. He does, yeah. It's serve placement, isn't it? That's what he needs to work on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've seen Yannick Sinner already tidy that up. Was, you know, I'm sure Alcaraz will be the same. He's definitely got the service pace that Sinner didn't have at that age. It's just a, t- you know, it's just a matter of placing it. And we, we saw it a few times in the third set, but not often enough. Yeah, so. you need to do it regularly if you're going to beat one of those guys. I am being harsh, to be honest. As I say, he lost five service points in that final set. And yeah, one of them was a I double mean, fault. So, unbelievable how he wasn't able to get a win, but that just shows yeah. it's Nadal. Such a good match, such a good testament to Rafa's brilliance that he won it. Full, full credit to him. Anybody that's sort of taken that win away from him, I mean, I, I don't think people are trying to discredit that win, but yeah. maybe they'll forget about it, obviously, after we've talked about this final, because it was a shame that he did lose it against Taylor Fritz. That was just so what it- bizarre. Day. Like the hours, I don't know if you're on social media like before the final, but everyone was reporting this Lindsay Davenport report on Tennis Channel that Fritz had stopped his practice early. And uh, everyone yeah. was saying, oh, Fritz could be, might not play. Jim Courier was asked by Tommy Haas if he had his tennis gear like, in a text because they thought he would pull out. Um, and I think that was bizarre that everyone was saying, oh, Fritz, you know, he won't be able to play, but then nobody focusing the Dow or how he was feeling physically, you know. Um, yeah. I, even I was guilty of that as well. I thought, oh dear, this could be a bloodbath. If Fritz isn't really fit, this could be a bloodbath if he plays it. And um, yeah, I think he played, the way he came out the gate at the start of that match, it was almost like um, maybe he knew his ankle was running on fumes. You know, maybe he knew that he didn't have much in the tank and he just had to unload it. You know what I mean? I would say that after the match, Fritz did say it was an absolute non-issue. Yeah. So he maybe was, exp- he definitely was expecting it to be bad because I think his coach mm-hmm. just said, for him not to play, right? Yeah, Paul Anikon um, told him not to play. Yeah, but he said it was an absolute non-issue when he started playing. Yeah, so. bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, it is bizarre. I mean, it's, it's the way tennis injuries work generally. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the time they can they can be really niggly, but on the day, it's a completely different story. Nadal said after the match, he felt pain even when he was trying to breathe. He said it's like having a needle inside him. He looked awful in the first set in terms of feeling-wise. Like, the back of the court, he did not look good. Like, uh-huh. Miserable. Yeah. Um, he said the thing that worries me now is what I have to do to recover and how long it's going to take so, I mean it was obviously an actual issue but he still mm-hmm. as I say he's, he's played a lot of matches this year that he wasn't playing his best in and still managed to win them so yeah. that'll take its it, tone itself won't it I mean the amount of times he's got to dig deep in the well third sets and everything um, yeah. yeah yeah I mean Nadal was still able to adjust as well Navratilova pointed out um, it was his pec muscle that was feeling a lot of the injury and he was able to make his forehand technique a little bit more army than, mm-hmm. than body uh, oriented basically so okay conducive to a few more errors but he was still able to find a way of 
staying aggressive uh, against Fritz, which you obviously have to do against a player of that calibre. He still made it really close in that second set. I mean, what? I mean, he saved that match point, and I thought in the, in the tiebreak, yeah. he had some unbelievable defensive shots. Like, he missed yeah, yeah. forehand inside out uh, volley sort of thing. Of oh, the drive volley. volley, yeah. Yeah, 5 4, up 5 4. Yeah, drive volley. I think he, um, you see it in his face, he thought, damn, you know, that, that was. That was it. Bad miss, yeah. Yeah, uh, five ball as well. He missed a forehand as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I want to give credit to Taylor Fritz, though, because I big ish. I thought it would be a 500, obviously, first. Who wouldn't have thought it would be a 500 yeah. before a Masters yeah. for Taylor Fritz? But. You know, a, a good result somewhere was definitely coming at some point. His movement mm-hmm. was just too good. Forehand's an absolute killer at the moment. Same with the serve. Yeah. And the backhand's just solid. He doesn't do much mm-hmm. with it, but it, it, it's it's still a class shot. transition game through his net play needs to get better. Yeah, oh, definitely. You know, if he wanted to excel at somewhere like Wimbledon, for example, mm-hmm. um, he's certainly got the rest of the game for it. So, it you know. Yeah, it wouldn't need much more uh, improvement in the net to, to make a, a good run there. So, but you know, really, really good. I I would say still, you know, Nadal's serve definitely down about six miles an hour in his first serve, seven miles an hour in his second serve. So definitely impacted this game somewhat, but still a decent ish level for somebody yeah. you know who's won twenty matches in a row. So, Absolutely. Yeah, it was uh, you know still credit to Fritz definitely. Shall we move on to the ladies? Let's move on to the ladies. Yeah, yes. why not? Okay, yeah, I'd like to start with the defending champ mm-hmm. and her level going into her semi-final. Paula Bedosa was playing amazingly. She hadn't dropped a set. I'd like to talk first about her quarter-final against Veronica Kudematova. Obviously, Kudematova uh, was the one that beat Asaka earlier in the week, so she was playing very decent tennis. Mm-hmm. She had a love-free record against Kudematova. Going into the match, really interested to see Kudumatova still able to put up a really dis- decent fight against her in a three and two loss. It wasn't as easy as a three and two win for Bedosa, certainly scoreline not reflective at all. That old adage. Moment in the first set where it could have gone wrong for Bedosa, up forty love five three. She lost four points in a row. Kudumatova just going crazy on the forehand, over eighty miles an hour on average on the forehand, so extremely aggressive, which is kind of what you got to do against Bedosa. Yeah, exactly. But just couldn't put it together enough times. Bedosa is insanely consistent in slow conditions and can go aggressive when she needs to. Just the amount of talks when she puts on both wings is is just insanely difficult to hit through. And Kurumatova, okay, she was able to trouble her with her massive first serve, but just no way of consistently winning points, basically. And she had that break back point in the first set and netted a forehand. That was kind of the story of the match, basically. Just Bedosa able to to pin her at the baseline, and if if she gave her anything short, mop up. So I mean, she was playing amazingly going into her semi final against Sakari. But I would like to talk about Sakari in general and why she was able to get through Bedosa. Mm-hmm. A little bit about her her racket, um, and just basically why she's she's playing so well recently. She hadn't won a match at Indian Wells for four years, incidentally. So. I, I think she's hitting a bigger ball than she ever has hit. She used to be a bit more of a counter puncher than she is now. Yeah, a, yeah. a lot. Of, yeah, a lot of that is to do with the the, the racket. Certainly against uh, Ribakina, we saw how heavy she's able to hit the ball, mm-hmm. um, and against Pedosa as well. Obviously, this is all credit to to tennis nerd for this one. I need to start watching more of their videos because really, really interesting stuff it's about great, racket technology. Yeah. yeah, 
I just going into a little bit of depth about the Wilson Ultra 100 V3, the racket that, that Sakari uses, extremely easy power on the racket, very, very head heavy, similar to a lot of the, the men's rackets on the mm-hmm. tour. Heavy head relatively gives her super easy depth in the back of the court, mm-hmm. which is why you see a lot of Sakari's shots tend to be a lot more linear, a lot more down the middle of the court mm-hmm. than placed, basically. Can make coming forward difficult, though, as the heavy head gives the, the power up. Uh, the player even a bit of a lack of stability and the volley can feel a little bit wobbly again which is why we don't see so many touchy-feely shots from Mm -hmm. Sakari you can still have a heavy racket and play a good volley but if it's a bit more head heavy it can be a little bit more difficult to to keep control of it so really interesting to see that racket translate to how Sakari plays in general yeah yeah Uh, she played an amazing match against Ribikina came back from 4-1 down in the the first set to to come through her Ribikina obviously keeps seeing it Touting her as the the next world dominator, definitely. <laughs> Might be a little while yet, but I mean, Sakari played a fantastic match and all credit to her. Her against Bedosa, Sakari against mm-hmm. Bedosa. But Sakari said before the match, or was it after the match? Sorry. Yeah, Sakari said after the match, I was very concerned before the match because uh, Pella is playing differently than the other girls. She has a very heavy game, obviously, loves this tournament. Uh, she won it six months ago. Yeah, she. Basically, the point was that she's pointing out how heavy Bedosa's game is. I think Sakari's game at the moment is heavier, definitely, and in terms of topspin. She was the one that was sort of dictating with her forehand, which is very, very odd considering Bedosa, you know, has won the, the, the tournament in October, basically using her forehand to, to, to conduct baseline rallies with basically anybody on court. I think Sakari's game is heavier, or is the heaviest in the game at the moment, to be honest. Because it, it can out-hit anybody, almost, obviously, bar one player that we're about to get onto. But mm. um, those linear shots knock anybody off their feet at the back of the court, definitely. And, okay, the forehand, yeah, so, for example, the forehand is definitely spinnier than Schwantex, which I was very, very surprised to hear. And um, that gives you a really good idea of how heavy a shot Sakari hits from the back of the court. It really, really zips off um, and pushes the player back. The backhand is completely different, a little bit flatter, able to use it cross-court a lot of the time. Didn't use it a ton against Bedosa. It was more about that forehand. Um, it works against different players, certainly against like Schwantek, for example, which is why she's had quite a lot of success against Schwantek. But yeah, the point is, yeah, we just wanted to give Sakari credit for having basically the, the biggest game in, in women's tennis at the moment, in my opinion. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. The firepower she's got is ridiculous, isn't it? Like, Heaviest game, actually, not biggest. I think Sean has got the biggest game at the moment. But yeah, it depends how you define heavier and bigger. But yeah, yeah. powerful, probably most powerful game. Definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. I'd like to move on to Sean yep. Did you did you get to see any of her versus Halep in the semi final? Wee bit. I didn't see it all because I was working, but um, yeah, I managed mm-hmm. to catch a wee glimpse of it before I was off to work. Mm-hmm. It was a good match. I, I enjoyed it. Did you see any of the set points? I didn't know. I'll, I'll go. I'll go over what happened. Basically, Schwantek, uh, and it does happen sometimes to her. Even in, in some of the matches that she's won recently, her forehand can sometimes go a little bit funky, and it's not the the shot she'll she'll dominate with all the time. Basically, because she's now got that backhand and she's able to attack with it, flatten it out compared to previous years on hard courts where she's really just used that as a as a way of staying in the point rather than getting up in the point. So super interesting to see Schwantek actually use that shot to beat Halep at her own game, basically, you know, defeating the, uh, you know, or winning the backhand cross-court rallies against potentially the best backhand in the women's game 
ish, definitely. It's definitely up there anyway. Um, she basically takes her opponent's strengths at the moment and she beats them. Must be so frustrating to play against when something that usually works for you isn't working and then you go plan B and it's like, well, don't usually have to do this, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what Fonte's kind of forcing out of players. At the same time, that first set was incredibly close and a lot of the rallies were kind of decided by those backhands. And Halep was coming out on top in, you know, maybe about 50% of them, to be fair, to, to Halep. She played a really, really high level in that, that first set. Schwantek, like, just to put this into context, when she played Halep in Australia, she only won four backhand return points throughout the match. Completely different dynamic here, able to bully Halep sometimes mm. using that backhand cross-court, which is just not her at all. So just as an example, those two set points, both won with backhand cross-court shots. One of them was a backhand cross-court forced error from Schwantek at 6-4, and then at 6-5, backhand cross-court approach, which she yeah. did get away with a little bit, and how it went absolutely mental when she did lose that point. But still, absolutely credit to her, and you know, she's not afraid to, to go into the strength of her opponent, use her backhand, and trust in that backhand to win a match against the best backhand of all time. You know, amazing. I love mm-hmm. Schwantek at the moment. It's just super exciting stuff to watch. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, Halep did lose that set. She still played really well in the, the second set. She was a little bit injured, which is why from a breakup, she lost four games in a row. We did see Schwantek's forehand go a little haywire, so she definitely had chances. If Halep had been fully fit, it definitely would have gone three, I think. So Schwantek maybe got away with one a little bit in that second set. But obviously, full credit to her. She's playing absolutely amazingly, super confident. She deserves to get a straight set win every now and then against a player who's playing out of their skin. Oh, absolutely, so, yeah. Yeah. Back to what we're saying about matching strengths. It, it mm-hmm. seems to be Swansea's way of defeating more opponents. I've seen that about Sakari as well. You know, using linear shots first to stop uh, Sakari using her own linear shots to get up in the point first. Mm-hmm. Will she ever beat Barty on a hard court with that in mind? So obviously, yeah, Barty relies on an outserving opponents. Yeah. Schwantek's still not serving amazingly, I'm obviously, not winning all the personally. matches. I'm, I'm not convinced at the moment, no. I think she's yeah. made some improvements into that serve. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was thinking if she did play Barty, it would have to be a, a forehand cross-court battle, maybe. I don't know. Mm. So, not, uh, not a slice battle, that's for sure. So No, definitely not, exactly. Doesn't want to get into that. Don't think she's that confident hitting low, certainly from a few of the points I've seen against Zachary. Mm. Uh, the the once-in-a-blooming that Zachary did slice to, to Schwantek. Yeah. Um, but yeah, still, you're quite right, I think. I don't think I could see her winning that at the moment. Obviously still playing amazing tennis and we will keep praising her in the final. How much of that did you see against Sakari? Yeah, a lot of it. Yeah, it was a um, great first set and then it turned into, well, being polite, a wee bit of a mess. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um, first set, like, Sakari was a breakup, wasn't she? Like, looking mm-hmm. to be a really mm-hmm. close competitive match and I was thinking, well, we could have another three-hour epic like the Badoza Azarenka from last year or whatever. Mm-hmm. Get sort of, you know, prepared for a long night and then after that first set, just went completely downhill and level, didn't it? Six, six breaks of serve in that in that opening set, actually. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the highest quality final. I think that's probably the best way of. Yeah. Not high quality, no. really. I, I think I think that's fair. Unquote yeah. galore. Yeah, so. I, I I actually the the way I, I I saw it almost the wind probably affected Sakari more than Schwante. Yeah, probably ruined it a wee bit. Yeah. Yeah, it, it kind of took away her ability to win a few free points on, on serve that she probably needed just to, to, to kind of edge her, her way over into the, the winning side of the match. Mm-hmm. 
So obviously, Twantic, you know, not relying on our serve much at all to win three points, it kind of just made it baseline battles. And when Sakari was downwind, she was really, really struggling to keep her backhand in the court and yeah. all the difference in that first set. As you say, unforced errors galore, but I think that's quite a lot to do with it. You know, she couldn't keep the the backhand from flying basically when she she hit it too far over the. Yeah the height of the net so it was tough it was tough conditions again definitely not quite uh, Alcaraz, Alcaraz uh, Nadal but still mm. yeah still, still tough stuff to deal with windy. yeah um, yeah so I you know I kind of make this when it almost looked like the kind of match Fontek could have won a year ago rather mm. than now if that makes sense so she wasn't like super aggressive for a backhand or anything like that it was yeah. kind of just forehand aggression and no serve basically mm. and it was enough to, to beat Sakari obviously because of the confidence she's got at the moment and just how comfortable she's feeling. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was more like an old school, a nineteen-year-old Schwantek than a twenty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To to nineteen-year-old Schwantek than a a twenty-year-old Schwantek. How hyped are you now? So actually, at yeah, twenty years old, third WT one thousand title already. I mean, a slam winner as well. Yeah, yeah, and a slam winner. I would say I don't see her winning in Miami. Um, quick hard courts. You know, yeah. if, if she. If she did win there, I'd be very surprised. The only way is up, isn't it? I mean, the only way is up. Like, yeah, definitely. That's the message of the current team with Alcaraz and Schwantek, the only way is up. Yeah, I could yeah. see, I could see Schwantek getting to maybe the the semis like Australia and getting beaten by somebody like Daniel yeah, Collins again. Yeah. It depends on the draw and what happens in a tournament, but yeah, certainly could be. Um, should have a decent run there. Will she win it? It's difficult, isn't it? Going back to back, Sunshine double. Not many players have done it, so. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, Madrid as well being the next Masters. I don't see her winning that as well, uh, just with how the altitude is so high. She's not the so best. Madrid the only way's up. The only way's up from about May onwards, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're quite right. I've, I've just been realistic. I think those two, I'm, I'm just saying I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see Schwantek winning again for a little while, just given the next few tournaments don't suit her game too much. Um, but as soon as it comes Rome, French Open time, mm-hmm. yeah, everybody's... Everybody's fucked, basically. <laughs> so yeah, it's super interesting or super exciting. I'm a very big fan of Igor Swiatek. So, um, yeah. obviously now world number two, people mm-hmm. will not be surprised to hear it's been a, a while coming. So not quite at uh, the point of challenging party for the number one spot, but good time. Right, anything else to talk about, Gav? Is that us? I think that's us. I think that's yeah. us. Yeah. My my own Miami has started. The qualifying matches have started. Even there's not really much to talk about there. Obviously, um, this has been a fairly long episode. Anyway, yeah, we'll probably we'll just uh, making sure everybody knows what we'll do next time. We'll probably do a Miami sort of recap thing. Probably, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. Same thing as Indian Wales. You know, yeah. like just covering the first few rounds if something really interesting happens. Mm-hmm. Never yeah. know. Big yeah. man probably winning love, 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 and love or something like that. Ooh, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a good prediction. That's exactly what's going to happen anyway, so that's not really just surprising. It's not that bold. It's not a bold not prediction. A bold. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Th- thank you very much for listening this far through, guys. If you want to catch any of Gav's work, you might be doing predictions on Miami. Should be doing perhaps. some for Miami. I've sort of gone off the radar a wee bit, but I'm back on the radar now, so to speak. So back on the radar indeed yes yeah you can catch my work at jackedward.substack.com or on the line tennis.uk new website thank you very much for listening this far through guys this has been the online tennis podcast cheers we'll catch you next time cheers thank you